Hi, I'm Santira and I'm doing the Bible reading today. And the passage that we're going to read is from Luke chapter 7 from verse 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from time I entered, she had not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You know what? I love being in the presence of someone who's uh, passionate about something. There's something attractive, isn't there? Something winsome in, in hearing someone wax lyrical about their favorite topic. I think you're drawn into them as a person when you see this spark in their eyes, when you hear the excitement in their voice, and, uh, and you feel... Uh, the passion resonates through their body language. And not only does this sort of passion make the person attractive, it also makes the topic attractive too. After hearing Travis excitedly unpack the intricacies of the Star Wars universe, I find myself feeling drawn towards the movies themselves. 
or hearing Leon go on and on and on about James Taylor, I think maybe I'll bring that up on my Spotify at some point. I love passionate people. And I think I love them so much because I'm not naturally like that. I'm often pretty blasé about a lot of things. And and part of me wishes that I just could have a little bit more excitement and passion uh, for certain things like others do. And this is especially true of my faith. I'm inspired by people with a passionate heart for Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Jesus. I'm passionate about my faith. Uh, But when I look at some others and the way they radiate the joy of the Lord and live in such a Christ-like manner, I want what they've got. And the woman in today's story is one such example. I want what she has. I want to recapture that passion and desire for Christ and Christ alone. I want passion that transcends mere understanding and overflows into the emotions and actions. And I reckon many of you feel the same when you hear this woman's story and you think, I want what she has. You want to desire God more. You're keen to be more passionate. But it can seem out of reach. Well, with that in mind, the question I want to answer this morning is, what causes such deep passion in the life of a believer? What causes such deep passion in the life of a believer? We're going to answer this question by uh, looking at the way the two main people from this story respond to Jesus. Uh, We see Jesus was invited to a party in the home of a Pharisee. And while he was there, uh, he was approached by a sinful woman. Luke doesn't say uh, what she did to make her a sinner. We just know that she, like us, is sinful. Uh, but, but more importantly in this narrative, people knew she was a sinner, uh, someone who disregarded God's law, and for that reason she was considered low and dirty. And it actually appears as though she's met Jesus before, because he keeps referring to her as someone who has been forgiven already. And so we can sort of guess that sometime prior to this encounter, she had met Jesus, been accepted by him and forgiven by him. And what she's about to do now makes it clear that her life has been changed. Look at verses 37 and 38. So beautiful. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Let's think about her response. That perfume she has would have been worth the equivalent of thousands of dollars. Uh, But she gave away both wealth and security by pouring it out on Jesus' feet. It was costly. And while she was doing this, while she was anointing his feet, she was overcome with emotion and cried. And embarrassingly, her tears fell on his feet and so... Uh, she untied her hair and used it to wipe Jesus' feet dry. In the first century, letting your hair down, would, would the modern equivalent would be a woman taking her top off in public. This is scandalous, right? But we get a picture of this woman abandoning all to Jesus. It's beautifully intimate. 
deeply emotional, but also very practical. She doesn't care what it costs. She doesn't care what people think of her. She expresses love and gratitude in an obvious and incredible way. This is a passionate act of worship. Now let's contrast that to Simon's response. The Pharisee, we see in verses 44 to 46, that when Jesus arrives in his home, he didn't carry out the expected etiquette, did he? He was very nonchalant toward Jesus. He didn't wash his feet. He didn't greet him with a kiss. He didn't anoint his head with oil. He then even had the audacity to pass judgment on the woman and judgment on Jesus for not dismissing the woman. These two responses couldn't be any further apart, could they? So what's the difference? What did the woman understand that Simon didn't? Well, the woman in this story understood God's scandalous forgiveness. And this understanding showed itself through her passionate display of love and thankfulness. She understood God's forgiveness. And this understanding showed itself through love and thankfulness. And that's what Jesus' little parable is all about. See it again, verses 41, 42. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? We know the answer. The one with the larger debt. Because he, because he understands what great misery he has been saved from. And it's the same for us when we recognize our sin and God's scandalous forgiveness. The way Jesus sums up this whole scene is wonderfully succinct. Look at verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Now, Jesus isn't saying that Simon didn't need forgiveness or didn't need much forgiveness. He certainly did. But but Simon just felt that because of his religious observance, he had done enough to be right in God's eyes. But this just isn't true with Jesus, is it? We actually see the opposite. Jesus' beautiful words in verse 50, Your faith to the woman, your faith has saved you. It wasn't her act of love and thankfulness that gave her forgiveness. Her love and thankfulness was a response forgiveness. Let's not miss the centrality of faith here. Jesus doesn't say that her many sins have been forgiven because her love was great. He says her many sins are forgiven as her great love has shown. Love and worship are a response to God's forgiveness, not a way of earning it. So now we know the story, how do we apply it? How do we answer the question we started with? What causes such deep passion in the life of a believer? The answer? Well, we, like the woman, need a proper understanding of the magnitude of our forgiveness. 
we need a proper understanding of the magnitude of our forgiveness. We want to move from being like Simon to being like the woman. If you've been a Christian for a while uh, and you've been growing in godliness, it's easy to start believing in your own goodness. Pride can start to sneak in and, and even though you know deep down you're only saved by grace, you begin to believe that you're a pretty good person. Maybe you've been a Christian your whole life. Uh, you've never gone off the rails and had a backsliding moment and you feel as though you're pretty worth, worthy. But biblically though, this is, this is a lie. It's a lie that leads to a lack of gratitude and a lack of love toward Jesus. So we want to call on him to fix it. And I want to finish with two practical things we can do uh, to develop a greater understanding of our forgiveness. Number one, cultivate the spiritual discipline of confession. Cultivate the spiritual discipline of confession. We need to be reminded of our sin. Not to induce guilt, but to lead us into a greater affection for Jesus and a greater appreciation of our forgiveness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Being sorry for our sin leads to repentance. So make time in your life to call to mind your sins and to confess them to God in prayer. The great reformer Martin Luther used to reflect and confess by going through the Ten Commandments. And I want to commend that model to you too. Let's just go through them now and see how that can help. You'll find the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. First one, you shall have no other gods before me. Confess, ask yourself and confess to God, what are you prioritizing above God? Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Confess to God the false beliefs and expectations you have on him. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Confess to God about how you are using your relationship with him for your own personal gain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day. Where are you failing to rest? Where are you failing to focus on God? Confess to God how you are trusting in yourself instead of Him by working too hard and relying on things like that. Number five, honour your father and your mother. Confess to Him where you fail to respect and care for your parents and other family members. Number six, you shall not murder. And remember Jesus acquaints hatred to murder. Confess to God the hatred and resentment in your heart towards others. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. And again, remember Jesus acquaints adultery uh, with lust. Confess your lust to God. Number eight, you shall not steal. Confess to God the way that you... Uh, fail to live an ethical life in your spending, in your consumption, and in the way you deal with your money. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. Confess to God your dishonesty and lies. 
Number ten, you shall not covet. To covet means to be jealous, and, and here you can confess to God uh, your jealousy of others, uh, your lack of contentment. Try to pray and confess through these things regularly. Make a discipline out of it. Uh, not to make you feel guilt-ridden, but to be that first step on the journey to remind yourself of God's incredible forgiveness. So it's the first one. First application point is to cultivate the spiritual discipline of confession. And secondly, once we've done that, we need to rehearse the story of forgiveness. It's all well and good to, to confess and, uh, and to bring up our sins. Uh, but that goes nowhere except uh, a dark place unless we rehearse the story of forgiveness. But f so firstly, if you're not sure of your forgiveness, if you're not confident that you are forgiven by God, you can be. It is free and unlimited when we come to Jesus in faith. I want you to click on the connect link below. Uh, if you're not sure of your forgiveness and someone from the church will be in touch with you, uh, to walk through this important question with you. It's the greatest sense of freedom and peace possible to know you're forgiven. If you are a Christian, confession and repentance that we just spoke about should not lead to guilt. It should lead to a point where you can marvel at his forgiveness. After all I've done, he still loves and forgives me. Hallelujah. So how can we rehearse the story of forgiveness? Well, we do it monthly at church through communion. Remembering Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Take that time seriously as we remember his death and resurrection until he comes again. Read the Gospels regularly. Don't neglect the, the stories in the Gospels. We're going through Luke in the morning and Mark in the evening, but in your own personal quiet time, read through the Gospels, the passion narratives, and, and get a picture of what Jesus did, the perfect life he gave, lived for you, and the sacrificial death. When thanking God as part of your regular prayer time, when you're listing off all the wonderful things in your life to thank him for, make number one on that list your forgiveness and salvation. And then just preach the gospel to yourself. Preach it to yourself. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done. Use something like Paul's words from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Preach that gospel to yourself. Jesus lived a perfect life, died to take the punishment for our sins and rose again to grant us new life. This 
is a cause for praise. This is a cause for gratitude. This is a truth that will lead us to our knees before Jesus, weeping in repentance, but in joyful hope and knowledge of our forgiveness and our salvation. You were dead and you are now alive in Christ. So how do we cultivate a deeper passion for Christ? We need a proper understanding of the magnitude of our forgiveness. So confess, repent, but then remind yourself of the beautiful truth of the gospel today and come weeping at his feet in gratitude. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you thankful for what you have done. Like the woman in this story, we wish to kneel before you weeping uh, tears of sorrow for our sin but tears of joy for our forgiveness Lord this is so often stopped uh, because of our self-righteousness so please take that away please help us to uh, confess our sin to you to realize our brokenness and to rejoice in your mercy and grace we pray it in Jesus mighty name Amen